You are listening to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This podcast is hosted by retired corrections officer Mark DeWolf, who will discuss various topics prevalent to corrections, gay culture, arts and entertainment, as well as current events. Listeners need to be advised that this podcast will discuss situations involving extreme violence, substance abuse, sexual assault, and murder. Details of actual events have been modified so as to protect the privacy of involved parties. Welcome back to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This is episode 44. If you don't already do so, please make sure you check out our social media. The Gay Florida Man podcast is on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Today's guest is a very good friend of mine. We have known each other since high school. I don't want to go too much into it, but I will tell you this. The Gay Florida Man podcast caricature logo it has me running across the state of Florida, and I'm wearing my old correction shirt. I've got the gay flag. And you'll notice that I'm wearing the checkerboard van sneakers. Now, you've probably wondered, why is he wearing those sneakers? as a nostalgic piece of the 1980s. And today, you're going to find that out. So listen up, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This is long overdue, but joining me today on the podcast is a friend I've known for a long time. We went to high school together, and she has just released a book called Reclaiming Life, a guide for parents of chronically ill children, and it's an amazing book. I've read a few chapters, and I pass it off to other friends of mine that are in the medical field, and they thought it was great not only for people that have chronically ill children, but there's just a lot of life coaching in it. Maureen, thank you so much for finally coming on the podcast. This is awesome. Mark, I am excited and <laughs> super nervous to be here because I've been your friend for so long. How this podcast is going to go will be quite interesting for sure. But thank you for, for the kind introduction, especially with your kind words about my book. I'm the one that should be nervous because you have more dirt on me than I do on you. <laughs> like, and for people that have never met Maureen, if you ever get a chance, I hope you do. Because even going back to high school, and I tease her about this, like before the first day of high school, we both went to Paul the Sixth High School in Fairfax, Virginia. And Maureen got like the blueprints of the building. So she knew where she had to go. She's always been a planner and she's always been way ahead of the game. <laughs> and that's why she's been so successful in her career, in her life. So Mark, like that story, it demonstrates how nerdy I was even way back in high school, because you are correct. I did get a map of the high school and I sat down with my schedule and my route to first period was blue. My route to <laughs> second period was purple. My route to third period was green and so forth and so on. Well, the other part of that story was that on the first day of freshman year, I was dutifully like following my routes and didn't realize there was an all hands assembly that threw off my routes and wasn't <laughs> on my map. And so I wound up in a senior English class when I should have been in my freshman history class because my routes got all goofy. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, is anybody that knows you says that you could have walked into that class and you probably could have taught it. You probably had a higher level of intelligence than the actual teacher. <laughs> and that's that's what you've been like ever since I've known you. Oh, that's you know, it's not shocking that you've become a doctor. You've written this book. You've always been an amazing person. And I'm the guy that was fake it till you make it. And I became a prison guard. <laughs> so, <laughs> stay in school and have yourself some drive because you want to end up like Michelle, not the guy that has to look at buttholes. <laughs> but I am the gay Florida man. So I never complained about that. So, 
tell me more or tell us more about this book of Reclaiming Life. Clearly, as you read it, you talk about the different challenges and a lot of the fear and a lot of the things emotion-wise that you went through. And you were a doctor at this point. And so you were very intuitive as to the needs of your child. But could you tell us more about the motivation for writing this book? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, Mark, as you know, like you've known me a very long time, and I am kind of first and foremost mom to three beautiful kids, you know, throughout my young childhood, didn't want to be a doctor, I wanted to be a pediatrician. And so I say that because I specifically wanted to take care of kids. I went to medical school at the military's medical school and um, went into pediatric residency, just like I had always dreamed about. Had at that point in time, a young son and then an infant daughter. When my daughter was six months old, she was diagnosed with a form of pediatric cancer called neuroblastoma. Um, neuroblastoma is a tumor of the adrenal gland that sits on top of the kidney. At that point in time, I had graduated from medical school. I was in my pediatric training, had this idea before this happened that I, because of all of this education and and because of my label of being a doctor, it was going to protect me from having kids who were sick, that I would take care of the sick kids, but not have sick kids. So this whole diagnosis of neuroblastoma kind of uprooted that belief that I had, and it kind of threw my world into a tailspin. My daughter went through surgery, chemo, the whole works, and was doing great, went and had, you know, annual follow-ups. Fast forward, when she was 12, she had texted me from school saying, Mom, you need to do something because I have peed 12 times today. So me and my doctor brain thought, oh, well, um, I know she has a urinary tract infection. So I took a urine cup and a dipstick that would help with diagnosing a urinary tract infection to her school. She, in the school bathroom, peed in the cup. I came in afterwards and dipped the urine dipstick and immediately the glucose reading on the dipstick turned very dark, which meant only one thing. It meant that she had type 1 diabetes. So in this tiny school bathroom with my 12-year-old daughter, I start crying. She has no idea why, why I'm crying. And I tell her she has diabetes. Um, and so she then says, well, am I going to die? And I said, no, sweetheart, like you're not going to die. And she's like, well, why are you crying? And I said, well, because I don't want you to have diabetes. So again, like set my world into a tailspin really for the next several years was living in this kind of fake it to make it attitude um, and that everything is fine and really not having control of my life. It was allowing like my emotions of fear and worry and overwhelm like really guide my life rather than me like intentionally choosing where my life was going. I have learned over the last several years about how to change that. And despite her medical problems that I am able to live a very full, complete life. I can have goals for myself. And all of that can help me be an even better mom to my kids. So the whole point of the book was kind of twofold. One is that 
my kids often ask me about stories that have happened when Kylie was sick with cancer or when Kylie had diabetes. And so I wrote that book to kind of put down on paper something that will historically like live forever so that my kids, kids, kids can know what life was like and hear all of those stories. But the other reason that I wrote it and I'm passionate about it is because I want to help people. That's why I became a doctor in the first place. But through my experience of being a parent of a kid with medical issues and through my experience of being a physician, I feel like I have the tools to be able to help parents who are walking a similar journey walk in a pair of shoes that's a little bit easier than what I have and potentially learn those lessons way earlier in the journey than I was able to. When I was reading Reclaiming Life, I got to say that, you know, I don't have children, but there are so many points that you bring up. There's so many different angles that you bring up. And my neighbor, Karen, had read the book. She was the first one that I had loaned it to. And she said, I love this book. This is amazing. And you don't even have to have kids to get something out of this book. I think all of these lessons that what I write about in the book, you know, each chapter of the book has a personal story about Kylie when she had cancer, a personal story of when Kylie had diabetes, a story of one of my patients that I took care of in clinic. And then it, the chapter summed up by kind of life lessons. And Mark, you're like, absolutely correct. Like those life lessons are very applicable, regardless if you have kids or don't have kids. If you have kids who have chronic illness, those lessons need to be heard even louder. I appreciate your your comment of what you and Karen experienced. I truly believe that those lessons in the book are not just for parents of chronically ill kids, but can be for anyone when they're trying to overcome a challenging part of their life. Absolutely. How long have you been working on this book? Oh, Lord. <laughs> so the... <laughs> <laughs> I had the idea for the book a little over a year ago when I initially, it was last spring, spring of 2022, when I finally said, you know what, I'm writing this book. And I thought the book was going to be like a piece of cake because these stories are a huge part of me. So telling them would be super easy to like jot down and type out a, some chapters on a computer like that wouldn't take me very long because they're at the forefront of my brain. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason that I kind of sighed at the beginning of that question was that what I didn't realize was writing those stories in excruciating detail was reliving all of those moments. And it took me a lot longer than I thought it would. I truly thought it was going to take me a weekend. It took me several months. But I have to say, several months for an go from like, committing to writing a book to getting the book like, to an editor to get it out there and get it published. Like that's still a phenomenal feat that I have to give myself grace for, but I just didn't realize how much emotional healing was going to go on by authoring this book. Has Kylie read it? She has read parts of it. it it's tricky, I think, for her to read because she's interested and they are her stories. And I got permission from her before I went on this adventure of writing this book. But same deal for her is some of the stories that are in there, you really try not to relive. So I 
as a parent, don't want to push her to read it, even though I think she would enjoy it, because I understand there is a little bit of an emotional piece that goes on for her in trying to read that book and relive some things that she was trying to forget. I'm sure that that situation in the bathroom with the dipstick, I'm sure that that's a very emotional part of her life. Oh, for sure. That, and there's also a story in there of what happened right after that, going on our drive to the emergency room and how she told me, you know, I just want two things, mom. And I said, well, what's that? And she said, well, I want the doctors to tell you something and then you tell me. And I was like, what? And she said, well, I just don't want them telling me any news. And I said, well, Kylie, the only news they're going to tell us is that you have diabetes. I said, they're not going to tell you anything different because your mom is not a moron. I said, what's the second thing you're worried about? And she said, well, I don't want them rushing around. And I said, what do you mean rushing around? And she said, well, mom, on television, when people rush around in an emergency room, that means the patient is going to die. And so I just don't want them rushing around. So, you know, for me as a parent and as a physician, like that was a huge glimpse into a young child's mind on what their fears really stem from. And um, she remembers that car ride like it was yesterday. For wow. Sure. Yeah. Wow. What other feedback have you gotten, Maureen, from the book? Have you uh, have other people, other friends, other um, professionals in your field, have they read it yet? I've gotten great feedback from JDRF, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. And so hope that the book will eventually be part of something that that organization is able to give to other parents. Um, I have also gotten good feedback from physician colleagues. So I, in my career, have trained young physicians to become board certified in their particular field. As part of that, sometimes it's hard to teach what it's like to be on the patient side of medicine. And so some of my physician colleagues have approached me about using this book as a tool to be able to teach other residents how it is to live on the patient side of things, um, because that just gives them more perspective to be able to care for their patients better. And, you know, same, same deal, Mark, that you had said before about like, even a person who doesn't have kids who are chronically ill or people who have kids, like, I think the book gives a perspective. So it can teach people who don't have kids or chronically ill kids, what parents go through sometimes. And I think, you know, oftentimes in our world, that something that is lacking is perspective. And when we forget perspective, sometimes uh, we don't act the way that we should or don't show up the way that we could have because we don't have that perspective of the other individual. When I read this book or before the book came out, before you had told me about it, I thought to myself, I don't know how much I'm going to be able to relate to this book because I don't have children. And I have not been through these experiences. I don't know if I'm going to be able to connect with this book, to be totally honest with you. Right. And then as I start to read it and it starts to really grab me and there's a lot of emotions in there, but just the way that you write these stories and then you back it up with all this information and your knowledge. Again, it relates to people that don't even have children. There's a lot everybody can learn from this book. You have done an exceptional job. 
Mark, like, I adore you. I know you're not saying that because we've been friends for decades, um, because I know that you would have never had me on this podcast to even talk about the book if you didn't truly love it. Um, so I, I do greatly appreciate your opinion and appreciate you telling your audience went from a belief that this book is not going to resonate with me to like, mm -hmm. oh my God, this book is awesome. I adore you for that. Well, and you also know that I'm probably not going to read it unless it's a mad magazine. I absolutely know that. <laughs> where, I know that where, my face is not going to be tattooed on your other shoulder. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Where can people find this book? I know that I got my copy from Amazon and I know now it's on audiobook. Is that correct? Yeah, so it's on Amazon in paperback and uh, Kindle version and an audiobook through Audible, um, which Amazon owns Audible. It's also on Spotify in the audiobook version. Um, and then as of yesterday, it is now available on online at Barnes & Noble and other bookstores. Awesome. That's fantastic. That's got to be exciting for you. It is super cool. And so the book came out beginning of December. And so it's really hasn't even been two months out into the world. A few days before New Year's Eve, I looked to see how many orders had been placed on the book. And it was about 900 and 50-ish orders a few days before New Year's Eve. So I really wanted by New Year's Eve to have a thousand copies of the book out into the world. I got to 980-ish, so almost to my goal. But still, Mark, when I think about 980 copies of my book out into the world, like it truly gives me goosebumps because having the opportunity for my book to have an impact into someone's life is just an incredible feeling. Well, you've found a way to broaden your love for helping people and now you're doing it through this book. And I think that's really cool. It doesn't stop there. And that's what I have realized. Like the book is just a start of a different way to help people. Like what I mentioned about um, JDRF, that them looking into the book, like I've been invited to speak at an upcoming conference that they're having. I am absolutely passionate about helping people. And I am grateful that this book is out there to be able to be a catalyst for me to help them. But that's also very amazing. Like literally this is so brand new. Yeah. I mean, we're talking 45 days. I know. That's, that's really crazy. good. And I think that 2023 is just going to be bring bigger and better things for this book because it sounds like things are on a roll. And I think that, you know, as more people become aware of this book existing, I think things are really going to snowball for you. I hope so. And I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for my kids and for to make life easier for other people. And so if I can get that message out to more people, then I will be one happy individual. Reclaiming Life, a guide for parents of chronically ill children on Amazon. Um, you heard Maureen talking about other ways to get a hold of this, this book, but it's amazing. But now there's other things that we've got to talk about just besides your book. We've got to talk about our background and knowing each other and the adventures that we've been on over the years. And now here's the part where I really get nervous. <laughs> I don't know where to start because we've oh, done Lord. a lot. We have done I, a lot. <laughs> we, I've dragged you to horror conventions. We have, it seems like a story from every time I drag you to one of those. Oh, and 
<laughs> we've been out to clubs. We've been to Vegas. Uh, yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny because as we're talking about like the fact that in reclaiming life, you know, would I be able to relate to it because, you know, I don't have any children. And, you know, I think about it and I always hear friends of mine that have children. They always say, they grow up so fast. And I can relate to that because they're talking about their kids and I'm talking about my dates. And it reminds <laughs> me, and it reminds me of a time in Vegas. And this is one of my favorite Maureen stories. And I'm going to let you get it in the first dig because we're sitting there and we're at the Piranha nightclub. This couple walks by and the guy's like probably, I don't know, 60, 65. And his boyfriend, partner, whatever is like 30. And Maureen leans over and she says, well, there's hope for you yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, that that one stung pretty good. <laughs> that one stung pretty good. So you remember that, don't you? Oh, of course I remember that. <laughs> that may be your favorite story. But oh, my, God. my favorite story, my favorite story is the shoes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll let you tell this story. <laughs> I had flown out to Utah to visit Mark and we had stopped by the outlets because it was, it was right around Christmas, right, Mark? Yeah, I think it was before Christmas. Right yeah. before Christmas. Yep. So we were going to do like a little bit of Christmas shopping. We walk into the Vans outlet. And there in the Vans outlet is a pair of black and white checkered Vans. And Mark is like, oh my goodness, like I have always wanted these shoes. Maureen, you've known I've always wanted these shoes. We have got to go see these shoes. So we go into the van store and Mark goes and is looking through the boxes of shoes and finds a size 13 and tries them on and you could tell on his face that the shoes were like a little painful when he was trying them on they, they snug. were snug they were snug snug, snug. Yeah. snug. And, yeah and looking at these shoes on mark's feet you could almost like feel bad for the shoes that the shoes were like going to explode because there was no way that Mark's feet could expand them even more than they already were. Mark looks at me and he's like, well, they fit. Like these will do. They'll, they'll Not, stretch. They'll, they'll stretch. stretch. They'll, they'll stretch. Yeah. They're canvas. They're brand new shoes. Canvas, they're going to stretch. Canvas, because of course, canvas shoes stretch so much, but <laughs> So I, being the good friend that I am, like, of course, I agree that, oh, yes, these canvas vans that are obviously snug, yeah, they're going to stretch. So we then go take the shoes up to the register, and I will never forget the look on Mark's face when the lady says, are you sure you wanted this pair of 13 women's? Do you want me to check if there's 13 men's in the back? Yeah. Did, did you want these in men's? <laughs> um, I was not mad that she offered that, Maureen. I was mad that she offered it in front of you. Oh, I, I know you were. I know you were. That was like, you know, and I'm looking at her and I'm like, bitch, for real? Did you really have to say that in front of her? And I look over at you, and you look like the Cheshire cat from Alice in Wonderland. Dying. Like, the, this smile Dying. across your face. Like, yes. seriously. Dying. Yes. And I'm like, I'm never going to hear the end of this. And here we are, 2023, January 2023, and what's the first story you bring up? I love that story. I love that story. And, you know, the, the kind of funny slash sad thing about that story they did have a size 13 men's shoe. And you walked out of that store with the black and white checkered vans in size 13 men's, uh, a shoe that you had wanted your entire life. But the sad part is there was no joy. 
it was pure embarrassment because that lady <laughs> had asked and had thrown you under the bus for wanting to fit your big fat feet into a size 13 women's shoe. Well, you know what's sad is that somewhere right now, there is a woman that used to work at the Van Sneaker Outlet, and she's <laughs> telling a group of friends over cocktails, oh, one time I had this big goofball come in, and he couldn't tell the difference between a women's 13 and a men's 13. <laughs> and I had to casually bring it up to this goofball. <laughs> and so I'm sure she's telling that story right now. Yep. That same trip. Do you remember we ran into somebody I knew down at the yeah. bottom of the outlets? The, yes. Right yeah. outside of the Hill Figure store at the bottom right. of the, in Park City. He used to be the head of training. Right. He was a military guy, army guy. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the whole event had happened because on another podcast episode, we talk about working under different administrations and right. me taking on this administration about them taking action on me and not help letting me work in front of the new recruits. Right. That particular individual that we ran into was part of that, but he was caught in the middle. Yeah. But he was very devoted. He was a military guy. He took a bullet for the administration. He would not talk about it over the phone. He wanted to have like lunch or he wanted to discuss it about it in person. Yeah. That was a very spooky time. And they ended up wanting to move him and he didn't want to move. So he had to retire. They forced him into retirement anyways. Mm. But it's interesting. You got to meet him. Yeah. That, that, that seems to happen a lot with me. I run into these different people with all these different stories that have happened through the years. And for the former director of training, you were there when I ran into him just casually shopping yeah. for Christmas yeah. for my vans. For your and vans. A, and a women's vans. 13. Yes. For your vans. Of all the trips that we've done together, is there a favorite? I love the horror conventions, but we're going to get to that in a minute. You had one particular horror icon that really liked you. Oh, dear God. You say dear God now, but at the time you were just all smitten. With oh, you. you're such a liar, Mark. <laughs> I, I have alternative facts, Maureen. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> of well, all the places that we've been and of all the things we've done, is there a favorite for you? I don't know if I have a favorite because there's always a story that comes out of a trip that we do. I mean, <laughs> as, as something as like silly as Vans shoes to the horror conventions. I mean, we've been to three horror conventions together. Well, let's see. We did. The one in Maryland, um, we did the one I, in Vegas. Right, we, Vegas, Maryland, and Florida. We've been to three together. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And each of those, there's a story from each of them that is, I don't know, it's just always like, I think that's why I adore you as a friend is <laughs> um, that it's really finding the silliness of life and like appreciating it and then reliving it for better or worse for years. And so I, I'm not sure if I have a favorite. There's always a story with Mark, as I'm sure your <laughs> listeners already know. Well, okay. So Vegas, we had gone to, uh, we've been to Vegas twice together. Yes. Once when I was dating somebody. Oh, yes. And that, that's a story, That's too. a story in and of itself. <laughs> oh, God. Now I am starting to sweat. But then the <laughs> other one where we went to that, I guess, I think we were in the room. And correct me if I'm wrong. We were in the room and something came up like an ad of like events happening in Vegas. And there was this convention where Jake yep. the Snake Roberts right. was going to be. Yep. Yep. So I saw that. I'm like, oh, Jake the Snake Roberts. Yep. Oh my, we got to go. Yeah, it go. was a total, total like whim that we went to it. He was actually really nice. I mean, Super with, nice. Very yeah, his, nice. Yeah. It was him and his daughter. His daughter was handling the money. Right. Yeah. But we, we sat there. We talked to him for several minutes. And yep. he went through a period with a lot of those guys. They end up getting involved with the substances and the drugs. Really good dude. 
super nice guy. I had brought up that movie Beyond the Mat, and he did say we don't talk about that film. Right. He established that very fast. Like, mm-hmm. We don't talk about mm-hmm. that. But other than that, he was very, very, he was a good guy. Mm-hmm. A good guy. He was never one of my favorite heels, but I definitely knew who he was. Right. Because that was like the prime time of wrestling. Yeah. And I had learned that your grandmother was into professional wrestling, correct? Yeah. So like growing up, when my grandmother lived in Dover, Delaware, and which was about three hours from where you and I grew up, Mark. So we would see her pretty frequently when I was a kid. And anytime we went to Dover, you could guarantee that she was in her like lazy boy chair with a (laughs) can of Pepsi watching professional wrestling. And so I, as a kid, even went to professional wrestling match in Salisbury, Maryland, had watched the Iron Sheik break a stick over somebody's back. And my brother and I begged the bouncers to give us a piece of that stick. And so we left and for years kept a piece of the Iron Sheik's stick from professional wrestling. So yeah. I don't recall that story. Did you tell me that? I think so. I'm sure I must have at some point in time. You lost yeah. that prop? I know. You're talking to a I prop know. collector. I know. I know. Oh, my Maybe God. I didn't tell you because I know I would be scolded. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You're like, oh, God, we can't tell Mark. If he finds out there's an <laughs> artifact that, that I did not hold on to and cherish and frame, right. he will flip out. Yeah. Now, that was, okay, that was in Vegas. We had another wrestling experience. I think it was Orlando? Uh, That was Orlando, yep. Yeah. And we got to meet George the Animal Steel. Yep. I don't think he had his green tongue, did he? Uh, I don't remember if he had <laughs> green tongue or not, to be honest with you. I remember he's very articulate, very nice yes. guy. Yeah. And we did the picture with him, and I put him in a headlock. And yes. Do you remember what happened? He had this whole, we ended up like posing for this picture, and he's like pulling my hair, and you had him in a headlock. Uh-huh. But I don't remember what happened. What did he say something to you? Yeah, well, when I put him in the headlock, he goes, easy, easy. Oh. <laughs> and so I, I guess I grabbed him too hard. But uh, you know, he's he's an older guy at this point. And was it his wife that was with him? Yeah, sure God, was. He yeah. was so nice. And you know, yeah. of course, the character he played was kind of like this, you know, he can't talk, he's the right. animal, he just kind of grunts and stuff. Yeah. And how amazing would it be to get in there and wrestle and you don't even have any lines? You just go, <laughs> I mean, what a great career. Right. <laughs> so he's no longer with us, God bless him, but what a what a wonderful person. <laughs> so that I think was also the same convention. Oh where we go. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. We go up, and of course, I've got to meet this guy from Land of the Dead. Hmm. Uh, the George Romero sequel to Night of the Living Dead. And here is Eugene Clark. He is the poster of the movie. You know, very tall, black guy, shaved head, handsome looking guy. And we go up to his table and uh, somehow in communicating, you know, it comes out that I'm gay. And so he realizes that Maureen and I are not together because I'm gay. And his eyes perk up. (laughs) And all of a sudden he is into you, Maureen. Man, like I tell you what, he was... I'm not even embellishing this. <laughs> he is really into you. And so we're taking pictures and he has no interest in being in a picture with me, but he wants to be in a, like a bunch of pictures. He wants to be in a video back in his room with you, Maureen. <laughs> he wants you on his only fans. He even took a picture with his camera with you and him. I know that is true. There is a picture of me and Eugene Clark on his camera. Somewhere out in the world. uh, Yeah, he's probably got it put as a poster. (laughs) But he really liked you. Like, he was flirting with you hardcore. And I'm ready to go to the next table. He's like, you know, here, like 10 more pictures with you, Maureen. 10 more (laughs) pictures. Once he realized you and I weren't together, he, oh, and then he found out that you're a doctor? Oh, my God. Like, wow. This is the one. And it got me nowhere. <laughs> like, where did it get me? I didn't I get to fly in any sort of private jet. Like, nothing. <laughs> nothing. But, you know, years later, 
you even told me, you're like, guess what happened last night? She's like, I heard my boyfriend on the TV as a limo driver in this movie. She recognized the voice and she looked over the TV and there's Eugene Clark. There's in a, Eugene. And, and like a, bud. <laughs> in a movie or television show as a limo driver. That had to make you smile. And it's like, you got a story with that guy. And this is exactly why, like, I love doing things with you because <laughs> that silly moment with Eugene Clark, nothing came of it. Like I said, I let me make it perfectly clear for your audience. I didn't want anything to come of it. Um, it has given us, Mark, so many laughs over the years to stumble upon Eugene Clark on a movie and like texting you like oh my god there's my boyfriend um, the uh it's just those moments mean the world to me like they really do it's so fun it is fun it's a lot of fun it was a different convention that we had gone to where we had met an actor that was in a weekend at bernie's yep his name is terry kaiser mm -hmm. and he played bernie yep a lot of people don't know that he was in Friday the 13th, part seven. And that's why I had to wait in line and get his autograph. Yep. So we had asked Terry, like, if he could play like he's a dead guy. And do you remember what he said to us? He wouldn't do it. He would no, not he, do it. And he used like something like it was like a contractual obligation. He, yeah. He's not allowed to. Right. It's like, come on. I think he's just tired of doing it. Right. Like right. playing like he's a dead guy, you yeah. know, and with you and I on either side. Yeah. But his handler had, I don't know if it was your phone or my phone, but to take the picture of us together and couldn't figure it out. And like, he started tickling you. Yeah. He was trying to make you laugh. So he was tickling your waist and he was doing like a little giggle himself. Like, <laughs> and it was just so awkward. So awkward. <laughs> so awkward. <laughs> this long period of time where he, he continues to laugh and I'm like, I'm looking at the handle like, Jesus Christ, please, will you take the picture? This is really <laughs> weird. But he was a nice enough guy. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> nice enough guy. There was a person we had met, I think it was the same convention. We had met most of the cast of Pet Cemetery at the same show. Yes. And I remember there was one particular actor and you had said, as we walked away, you were like, you know, he definitely plays for your team. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, <laughs> you're laughing. So you remember. Yeah. He was fairly effeminate in his characteristics. <laughs> you had said that, you know, he definitely plays for your team. <laughs> I'll never forget that. That made me laugh. Now, there was another convention, or no, sorry, maybe that was the same one, but we had met an actor from one of the Halloween movies. That guy definitely didn't play for my team, because you felt like he was standoffish. Do you remember that one? I don't remember that one. You got the vibe that he was a little bit uh, homophobic. He was not very outgoing. Yeah, I don't remember that one. But I think it was the same convention, too, that we met the individual from kindergarten cop yes he was that's part of the cast of pet cemetery yeah just a little teeny guy yes uh mm -hmm. he played gage he played the little boy in pet cemetery mm -hmm. and he was nice he was super nice not a he, little boy anymore but he was physically he was still a little boy he was like the size of my foot <laughs> I had to crouch down to get close to him. I mean, he was not what would be defined as a little person, but he was just very small in stature. Yeah. But yeah, he played Gage and he's the one, what was the line that he had in Kindergarten Cop? Like boys have penises and girls right. have vaginas. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That is correct. <laughs> I wonder how many times he gets asked to say that line at convention. <laughs> you know, he could probably make bank if he said, I'll do it for a hundred bucks. Right. Because people would do it and then record it on video and stuff. <laughs> I have dragged you to all these different conventions, and we still have these memories from it. The first time that we went to one, and I can't remember which one was first. Did you enjoy it the first time, or were you like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm jumping through this hoop for this guy? The first one we went to, I'm pretty sure, was the Florida one. Oh, and, okay. Spooky uh, Empire. A spooky Empire, right. And... 
I think your mom was going to come with us was the original plan. And so in the back of my mind, having no idea what a horror show convention was all about, <laughs> I was like, oh, if Mark's mom's going to go, it can't be that bad. I know Mark's mom and she is a brilliant woman that it, it really can't be that bad. <laughs> and um, the for some reason, your mom ended up not going with us. And I, I don't remember. I have no idea why. But I have to say, horror show conventions, especially for somebody that is like an outsider to that crowd who loves to people watch. Oh, my gosh, that was amazing. You can get amazing people watching opportunities in oh, yeah. at a horror show convention. Like so fun, so fun because it was absolutely different than anything that I have ever done before. And it clearly was a good time because I've been with you at two <laughs> other ones in after that. So your you know mom has we, no idea what she's missing. We forgot one, Maureen. What? Elvira. Oh, yeah, you're right. So you've been to two here. You're right. So yeah. that was kind of a fiasco. I don't that know who was, was responsible. That was kind of a fiasco. And maybe that's why both of our brains were like repressed it. There's a great story for that, though. Yeah, there is, of course. There is, there is a great story. But it was also chaotic because that was also the weekend of the Halloween party. So we were rushed. Right. Yes. But you had paid for a group photograph with Elvira and she would be in costume. Yes, I don't know who planned what or who was responsible for it, but she ended up running late to do this whole thing. And I don't know if they had set it up too early, but my biggest issue with the whole thing is that the venue that they chose was way too small for the amount of tickets that they sold. Yeah. You remember how horribly crowded it was? Oh, it was terrible. We had a scheduled time with Elvira. And mm -hmm. do you remember the number of people whose time slot was ahead of us? that mm -hmm. was waiting i mean we're we're not talking like five or ten people like it was a crowd of people that were just waiting and nothing was moving like i'm not even sure she was even taking she, she she wasn't there yet it was a mess the whole thing was a disaster yeah we had planned that thing and i want to say our time slot was like five or six and it was on a right. friday they had this venue that was way too small for the number of tickets they sold. And they had also, the thing with Elvira is they had like an exclusive Funko Pop toy. Yep. That they had sold. Yep. It was like a pre-order thing. And something happened with the delivery service. And I don't know, FedEx, UPS, I don't know. But they had not arrived. Something had happened. And I understand these things happened. But a lot of people came just because they wanted to get that Funko Pop because they collect them. Right. And then they wanted her to sign it or something. I yeah. don't know what, but I know that they ended up having the police department had to come in. And I don't know if the fire marshal came in, but people were really heated about that fun not getting over there. that toy. Yes, you are correct. But yep. we'd already left. We gave up. We, and yep. Yep. I know that they had said there's no refunds on the photo shoot with Elvira. There's no refunds. There's no refunds. Yeah. And then people feel like they're trapped and you're in this line that's not moving because things aren't set up yet. Yeah. And, that and, was terrible. Yeah. Oh, it was awful. It wasn't like we waited five minutes and like, oh, Elvira's not here. We're bailing. Like we had stayed there for a significant amount of time in the line to yeah. realize like, we're going to be here like six hours and we had the Halloween party. Like it just wasn't a doable thing that, um, that was terrible, but still fantastic people watching opportunity for sure. Well, okay. So here's the story I'm going to tell you. There was a, a lady in the next room that had been in the movie sleepaway camp mm -hmm. and she had played the main character. And the storyline of that movie was, is that the whole entire movie, you think she's this, you know, 14 year old girl that's really hot, mm -hmm. you know, not that I'm saying that, but the <laughs> other characters that were 14, God, that was really creepy. Anyways, <laughs> there was the other four, my God, I'm going to have to edit this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now sound bites from this one. 
the other characters in the movie that were 14 thought she was like to die for. Uh-huh. And at the end of the movie, you find out that this girl is actually a boy and has been made to play like a girl her whole life. And she ends up killing people at this camp. The very last shot, which is very well known for people that are fans of horror movies, is her on the beach holding this kid's decapitated head that made advancements on her, and she's completely unclothed. And for the first time, you see that she's actually a male. Mm -hmm. And so I had waited in line, and I got her autograph, and I got my picture with her. And I had come back to where you guys were waiting for Elvira. And this is where I told you guys the story. I think her name is Felicia Rose. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm waiting in line for her. And I said, you know, how did they do that shot with you with, you know, the, the penis? And she's like, oh, I, I've really got a penis. I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, yeah. And, and she, she pulled down her pants and she showed me she really has a penis. So I'm telling you guys this story. And it was you and Jose and several other people. Uh-huh. And you guys know me well enough to go, you know, Mark's full of shit. We already know. And you guys kind of like are listening to this whole intense story and I'm really selling it. But there was a woman next to us that was listening into the story. (laughs) Do you remember this? Yes. And so she's listening in when I say like she pulled down her pants. She showed me she's really got pants. This woman's face was so shocked. I could see her jaw open. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, my God. (laughs) That just happened? (laughs) And then we, we let her in that I'm just totally lying. And then we got a good laugh out of it. So it's moments like that. that I know us- it is. It is never a dull moment with Mark. There's never. I know that there's more stories that I'm not thinking of. I'm thinking about the horror ones. Well, I do remember one particular night that we went out drinking in Salt Lake City. Do you remember this? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> What's the hesitation in your voice? So I'm like, oh my god! I we thought, went out. We went out to the club. Are we? Are we, are we close to time? <laughs> <laughs> so let's just say that you had a really good time that night. I had a really good time that night, but I think that my liver had adjusted to the whole drinking thing, <laughs> and it was it was not it was a newer experience for you than it was for me. Mm-hmm. to go out to the gay bar and i know jose was with us that night yeah and then we had gone back to the room and everything was fine then the next day you were a little bit hung over you were having a hard time now we had to go and meet tony and his wife penny at this really nice seafood restaurant now you were pretty nauseous you were you were right on the edge and having to hydrate constantly and you know the the whole boxer brain thing after a heavy night of drinking mm-hmm. And I remember we went down and Tony's one of those guys. He's very descriptive. He has a way of describing things that only Tony can do. And we're sitting there in the booth. And I remember that Tony was talking about like the last time he went out to breakfast and he'd said that the eggs were so runny, you could drink them. (laughs) And I looked at you and your eyes, they already looked pretty green anyways. You're like, excuse me. And you had to get out of the booth and you had to excuse yourself to the restroom. Well, and uh, you you forgot part of that was he did say that, but there were eggs that people had ordered too. So it wasn't only like (laughs) this visualization of these like god awful runny eggs, but they're physically there with the nauseating smell of these like eggs. And that was all she wrote. That was yeah, all yeah. You so, made it to the restroom. I did. I did. Yeah, I proudly did. made it to the restroom, and I'm not sure I've ever eaten runny eggs since that episode. <laughs> you know, with our experiences, there's ups and downs. I can't remember one Christmas you had sent me a thing for my feet, like a massage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what was that? Because I know there was, it was kind of like a veiled compliment. I had done something or I told you something. So you had sent me that. It was a foot massager because it relayed back to the Vans story. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would need a foot massager yeah. if I'm wearing a women's yeah. 13. Yeah. yeah. That is true. That's what it was. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. I forgot. 
Are there any other stories that I'm missing that you wanted to talk about? <sighs> I know that there's so many, and we're going to hang up after this episode, and we're going to say, oh, what about this or what about that? I have to tell you a story, and I don't know if I've ever, because there was a time period where, of course, you go to high school, you become friends with somebody, and then as you get out of high school, a lot of times life becomes so overwhelming you know, people start to live their own lives. They get married, they have kids, right. they have careers. And so for a long time, I lost track with you, Maureen. Yeah. And then we connected again through social media. Yeah. I wanted to tell you this story, and I don't know if we've ever talked about it, but there was a time period, and I was not out of the closet. I didn't come out of the closet until like 2002. But there was a time where you and I were very close. But again, I was closeted and you'd had asked me, in my parents' garage, I'm going to try not to get emotional when I talk about this. Oh, <laughs> it because it's it's one of those fuck ups in life. And um, you had really you were really attracted to me. You you really were just such a kind and special person. You were different than other people I'd met, and I could see that. And you had asked me, you know, where I saw our relationship, and I'd said just friends, and that was very upsetting to you. And I look back at that, and it's the example I always use when I talk about living in a whole authentic life and being honest. And the regret of waiting so long to come out of the closet is because of, of causing pain to wonderful people like you and several others through the years that mean the world to me. And I couldn't be honest, and I was terrified. And I look back at my life and how it reflects to children today that are able to come out and parents accept them for who they are. I was not at a time period in my life and I've never apologized to you for that, but I was not honest with you. If I had told you like Maureen, I'm gay, it has nothing to do with you, it's me, then I think that you would have had a clear understanding of what was happening in my life. I, I look back and I think about all the dysfunction that's happened because people are terrified because of, you know, religion, acceptance from their family, acceptance from their friend, getting fired from their job for a long period of time for, for a lot of people. And it's caused so much chaos and hurt and pain where it doesn't need to be. And we've, thank God, progressed as a society to start to understand this is not a choice but it's a, who a person is. Right. Mark, like, I truly hope that you um, don't live with regret for that moment because, you know, I firmly believe that everything in life happens exactly the way that it should. And, you know, the script of our friendship would have been very different if that conversation had gone differently in the garage. And mm. I don't look at that moment as a moment that kind of paused the two of us to go down two different paths and lose touch for a few years. I think that is just part of life and that having uh, reconnecting with you and you coming back into my life when I needed your friendship even more so than I had needed it before was such a huge gift. And I think that one of the things that individuals can often use as something that doesn't allow them to move forward is regret. And um, that, you know, things in life like, yeah, maybe you would have done it differently with the wisdom and knowledge that you have now, but I'm glad you didn't because I think our friendship would be totally different if it had played out differently. So it's, I just, I appreciate the apology. I don't think it was ever necessary, nor do I hope that you spend much time thinking about that because I am grateful for our 
um, friendship. And I, I absolutely love you being your authentic self and you accepting me for who I am and um, just having an incredibly deep friendship between the two of us. Well, I want to say I love you. I love you too. And I'm also the guy that can say I love you and you know you're completely safe. I know. <laughs> this is this is true. Well, I'm going to I'm going to wrap up this episode and I'm going to tell everybody the same thing that I tell them every week, Maureen. And that is to be good and if you can't be good, be good at it. And if you're <laughs> sitting in prison, you're not good at it. Good night everybody. Good night. Good night.